0: You know, a lot of times my wife, Ashley, she doesn't come with me. Uh, In this case, she just happened to be bored, have nothing else to do. So she's like, sure, I'll go see this movie. Uh, And she came out of it pretty mad at you, Cassidy.
1: another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Back on the show is regular co-host Keith Foster from San Diego, California.
0: And also back on the show is Cassidy Robinson recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains.
1: Last week, or the last episode that we recorded right after Thanksgiving, I did a guest episode with Ashley And I had mentioned something about how you weren't going to be on the show because you had to go on a cruise or something. And she's all like, fun fact, I'm also going on a cruise, the same cruise, with you. Yep. It was a Disney cruise, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I've only been on a couple cruises uh, now, and both of them were Disney cruises. Uh, My wife, Ashley, who is a different Ashley, She has been on other cruises that are not Disney cruises and highly recommends the Disney cruises because the service is always very good. Uh, And one of the benefits is that, like, you know, uh, being adults with no children, there are adult only areas on the cruise ship. But because a lot of people go on these cruises with their families, those areas are often a lot less crowded Because, you know, the families are off doing family stuff. So, it's actually kind of nice. It's a little bit more private than like an adult cruise.
1: Okay. Also on this episode, we are going to discuss the sight and sound list that was just published uh, about a week and a half ago. We are going to review the new film Bones and All in theaters now. And at the end of the episode, we will be... Reviewing Ishtar from Tubi, uh, the 1987 historic flop.
0: Anyway, how, how far yes, did this cruise I,
1: travel? It went from. Did you have to like go from Orange County or from San San Diego, and did like go all the way down the coast? No, it,
0: it left. It left from San Diego, which was a big part of why we wanted to do it. Uh, San Diego is one of their ports for the next like six months or so, um, and it just went down to Cabo, Mexico. And we did some snorkeling, and it was it was lovely. Uh, I did get a little, like kind of a stomach thing, um, and I did test for COVID afterwards, and I did not get COVID, just but, food poisoning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, uh, very well could have been, and it could have been from something other than the cruise. Um, I get why people wouldn't want to do a cruise right now or ever, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, but both of my experiences have been very positive. So, okay, I don't know. At uh,
1: this point, is it more or less expensive to go on this cruise than to just get in the regular park?
0: Because oh, the they keep person-
1: raising the prices of the park about every three days.
0: Well, oh, I mean, okay, we're getting into some deeper Disney issues. I mean, that's a big part of why they ousted uh, Chapek. Friend brought back bob Iger, but uh i mean it it just depends like they're very different vacations like if you were to stay at a disney hotel on site then dis like a disney resort absolutely hands down would be way more expensive than the cruise like the uh, the cruises are uh, most cruises are very cheap right now because they need to entice people to come back hmm
1: Okay, uh, well, I'm glad you had fun. Welcome back. So, I had sent you a list, the new Sight and Sound. So, funnily enough, when I started a version of this podcast, back when we first started with Richard in 2012, the list had just been updated. So, we did a lot of talking about it then. Every 10 years, the BFI, the British Film Institute, releases this
0: Uh it comes out in the sewers of dairy and it starts eating children (laughs) yes
1: uh the the bfi uh releases a, a new updated version of the list it's been going on since 1952 and it is so far the most comprehensive list of uh the 100 greatest films i'm putting that in air quotes As decided by a select uh, group of film critics. And once you've reached a certain zenith of, you know, either film reviews or film scholars, some film historians, what have you, and international too, not just Western American English uh, film scholars, but uh, international, then... It's invite only, you're accepted into this group, and you can submit for the upcoming year or the upcoming list. And then they tally it all up and run it through the algorithm and kind of gives a a snapshot of what are the movies in the conversation still. You know, what ones fall off the list, what ones come
0: back, which ones. Rise,
1: which one's fall?
0: There's a lot of movies on this list that I have never heard of.
1: Right. So I think one of the reasons that the list is the way that it is isn't just because um, it's a bunch of snooty film critics and film scholars. Uh, And I I should also say there's there's a secondary list, too, of directors. And they have their own version of the list as well.
0: Yeah, I, I saw that list and I think I liked it a little bit more, but there was a lot of similarities. There's
1: a lot of crossover. Sometimes the the ordering can be different, and there are some... I would say it skews a little bit more populist than the Critics and Scholars list, but only slightly. A lot of the reason is, is because it's international. So, you know, you're, you're getting... Scholars from Asia, Eastern Europe, you know, Greece, France, Italy, Spain, Okay, you know, not just America.
0: That does make it make a little more sense.
1: Uh, And and it's supposed to be comprehensive as far as, you know, there's movies that go as far back as the silent era to some that were just released uh, fairly recently. I believe there's one from like 2019 on here. So
0: yeah um uh parasite. Yes. That my I think um there's also moonlight. Which... Moonlight
1: is fairly new. Um but I think even more recent than that. So Moonlight came out in 2016 and is uh, just been added to the list. Get out. Also
0: get e- out. Entered the list. Modern one.
1: Yeah, and that uh was 20 what? 17? Yeah. And a uh, portrait of a woman on fire, or lady on fire. Uh, that one came out I think in 2019.
0: Yeah, oh, that sounds right.
1: Yeah. yeah, And that one is pretty high up the list, actually. that entered the highest of the of the uh, brand new entries at uh, number thirty. I'll go ahead and just read off the current top ten. And right now, as it stands, and there are a hundred on the list, so... But the current top ten is Singing in the Rain, Man with the Movie Camera, which back when in 2012 when we started the podcast, we did that as homework. And that is very Russian. <laughs> it's more of a film experiment than a narrative, but uh, you know, it well, is what it is. Well,
0: 1929 wasn't, I mean... I mean, All even kind of experiments.
1: yeah, but even in 29, there was, you know, that there were plenty of narrative films. But this one in particular is, it, you know, it's that whole like Russian thing about uh, editing and, and montage. So it's a lot of real life footage of people in parks and stuff and um, more about sort of the experience of watching it than, you know, getting a story out of it. Um, Mahal and Drive which was lower on the list before is now in the top 10 at number 8 Beau Travel from France actually that's a fairly new movie at ni- from 1998 uh, Claire Denis uh, 2001 Space Odyssey is at number 6 that's been hanging around the top 5 for a while In the Mood for Love from 2000 um, the Wong Kar Wai film Tokyo Story uh, and a lot of people before the, the list was released, because they had announced that it was going to be coming out here short soon, a lot of people thought this was going to overtake uh, vertigo as number one um, because it had been creeping up the list over some m- number of decades. Citizen Kane is now at number three, which had held the number one spot. I think since the list was created until 2012 when vertigo, uh, took the number one spot. Now Vertigo uh, is number two. Um, and the new number one is Janine Dealman 23, destroy this pronunciation. You
0: know, the, the idea, uh, here's the thing, with uh, uh, French, uh, you just pronounce it quickly and with confidence. So uh, I'm going to say it's,
1: that's probably pretty close. The Chantal Ackerman film.
0: Um, uh, yeah, never heard of it. Like, what the hell is this? I no know, offense. <laughs> but I, what the fuck is this?
1: I, I went back and looked at past years because I didn't remember this even being on the list the last time. Um, and But it was. It was like in the 30s. But I guess it had kind of... Over, you know, the last before 2012, it had first entered somewhere in like the 90s or something and then jumped up to like the 30s in 2012 and then jumped up again to number one. So it's been a quick rise in popularity.
0: Have you ever seen it?
1: I have not. It is three and a half hours long. Um and it's a Belgian French film. I know of Chantal Ackerman uh she was a uh you know a French experimental director who did lots of like minimalist cinema and uh she did a fa- famously she she done a film with like a long lesbian love scene that's all in one take, which was pretty steamy no offense, for 1950 something. But-
0: Everything you described is exactly why people hate film critics.
1: Sure, I mean I get it. I, I, I I'm I'm interested in seeing the film now that it's been made to my attention, as well as anything on here on this list that I have yet to see. Uh, I mean that you know list of shame. I've never seen Singing in the Rain because for a long time I was like, eh, musicals, and now that I'm more like into the idea of of seeing musical I just have to get to it but um, yeah that's one I
0: I, s- I don't even know if I've seen 10 movies on this list oh I'm sure you have okay maybe I
1: have uh, the searchers was on the top 10 last in 2012 it is now down into to 15 yeah seven samurais on here Apocalypse now is on here the passion of Joan of Arc I think Jumped down quite a bit. I think that was like at number... I don't remember exactly what number it was at. But it was in the top 10 last time. And now it's in at number 21. Uh, Do the Right Thing, I think, moved up. Uh, It is now in the 20s. So
0: I'm very curious. Maybe maybe I'll report back next time. But I am actually very curious now as to how many of these I have seen. Yeah, Psycho's on here.
1: I guarantee I you, seen I guarantee you've seen at least ten, if not more.
0: No, I have. Most of them were from film school, but or from not film school, but my film class.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rear Window, Bicycle Thieves. Yeah, it's a lot of your usual suspects: Battle of Algiers, Barry Lyndon. Actually. I think Stanley Kubrick might be up there as far as having the most entries on the list because he has The Shining, which is somewhere lower on the list, and then Barry Lyndon here at 45, and in the top 10 he has 2001. So, and I think The Shining might have been a newer entry. I don't know if it's been on the list and was removed and then came back. Um, But, you know, there's a few things in here that are a little bit more populist. Blade Runner's on the list at number 54. Yeah. um, Which is a, that's a good pick. So the uh, assignment that I had us do is what would be the five films, at least five films that we would add to the list that is not currently on it?
0: 23. I've seen 23 of these movies. So I've almost seen a quarter of them.
1: You just now did that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just now was counting them up.
1: Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't done an official tally. Uh, I
0: I feel a little bit better about it now.
1: (laughs) I I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I've seen a number of them, but not all of them, certainly because when you're putting a list like this together, ultimately what people are doing when they submit their 10 is they're not submitting here are the 10 best films ever. Or here are my favorite ten movies I'm more likely to watch on a Friday night with friends or whatever. I think
0: I think that should fucking
1: matter. I mean, if if that's the way you want to do it, that's the way you want to do it. But I think what they're actually doing is they're thinking I, if they're thinking about it more in terms of here are the t- the ten films I want to argue for. Here are the ten movies sure. that I want to. Um, that I want to uh, supply in the data, so that when they're sure. when that, they're that's, running that's, through the uh, running it through the algorithm and they're you know putting together a top ten, then then the then the ones that I'm advocating for will either move up or down,
0: or they'll hopefully enter new. But I it bothers me that within criticism within within that conversation mm-hmm. there seems to not be room for comfort movies for like, and, and I think that is a value all unto itself. Like, like, yes, a movie shouldn't hang its hat solely on entertainment value. Mm-hmm. But I think that at least the way movies are made nowadays, that should factor into the conversation. Like, sure. Yes. Back in the thirties and forties, when, when, people could maybe be a little more when the art form was younger and it is still a very young art form. But I I just think like, because movies are made as an industry, as a a form of entertainment, it seems insane to me to not factor that in to your choices at all. Right. And that isn't to say none of these movies are entertaining. Like some of them are. I just, uh, I, I feel like that, aspect of criticism gets overlooked and and i i think in general when people discuss movies they they have a tendency to uh and i'm talking about like normals right like non-critical conversations right just regular uh, moviegoers yeah pe- people often say oh yeah i like that movie because it was just dumb fun or you know it's just it's stupid but it's fun like i hate that so much like Fun is a value system. Uh, uh, it's not dumb. It's not dumb because you like it. Like, it, 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 I, I don't, I, I hate, I hate that. I uh, Sorry.
1: No, I, I know. I'm
0: going, what, I'm spiraling here.
1: I know. <laughs> I know what you're saying. And, and I think that, you know, one should not feel defensive just because they're unfamiliar with the majority of the movies on the list. Um, it is just a list and it's, it's like I said, it's just a snapshot of what's in the conversation. Every 10 years, you know, we look at it and we see, Oh, this is up. This is
0: down. That, yeah, the new number one that's in the conversation with fucking who? Like, that's what I mean. It's, well, that's the thing that's interesting. And, 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 and,
1: and it's sort of a, a more of a snapshot of what's happening in, in, scholarship right now like i i can't tell you exactly why that movie in particular especially like french movies from that time you would think something like breathless or or you know uh the that 400 blows the list, or uh yeah that's on the list
0: i didn't i must have missed that one
1: um but uh yeah you would think any of like the the french new wave stuff or or whatever might be more there, but maybe there was something about it. Like it could be as something as simple as like a new print was found and it just got screened by the BFI in 2003 and people are just now discovering it for the first time. It could be, and that it ends up being a blip in like the next couple of these lists every 10 years. And then, all of a sudden it drops off because everyone's had that conversation. Now it's just part of the canon and whatever.
0: Um, Sure. Again, there's nothing wrong with old, cool art house movies that, that influenced your favorite movie, right? Like they influenced your favorite movie, but, but that doesn't mean that the movie they influenced isn't just because something wears its influences on its sleeve doesn't mean it's, flawed because it didn't come up with it first. Like, I, I think there is a skill to using your influences to make something better.
1: Well, sure. Well, here's, here's an example of how something like this might work. Um, you don't see birth of a nation on the list, right? Sure. So yeah, birth of a nation, silent film, which portrays the Ku Klux Klan, as the heroes of the south saving white women from the ex-slave savages in you know white guys dressed in blackface it's horrendously racist yeah. but but it is extremely influential on the cr- the craft of filmmaking on um, the way that it crosscuts in action sequences and the way that it um, propels a scene forward through a set piece like basically action cinema as we know it has its DNA somewhere in that horrible horrible racist film
0: <laughs> um I mean you could I mean so there, you could there say that about everything in this country but <laughs>
1: right yeah I mean you know some things, Stay in the canon, or 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 don't, because yeah, of yeah. you know certain things like that. And I think that you know it's a case by case basis as far as that goes, and not and it doesn't always have to be as like starkly. Well, again, I I think problematic is you know, as, as that, but there you know you might look at a movie when
0: you're discussing like what makes a movie great. I think everything is in play, right? Like yeah. from the craft of it. You know, like that Mm -hmm. uh, to the content of it, to the themes of it, to the story of it, like all of that should should be great. You know what I mean? And in in certain movies, cases, (laughs) you know, maybe advanced something in one direction. But because the themes and the the content don't hold up like it's it's not one of the greatest movies it might be technically as far as a craft level goes, but that's the thing about, about movies. It's a, it's a multi leveled art. You know, it, it's, it's not just words on a page. It's, it's all of it. It's the lighting. It's the music. It's the acting. It all has to work. Right. Going back to our assignment,
1: I had us pick five movies that are not currently on the list that we would add. What are yours?
0: speaking i'll start with um these aren't ranked necessarily yeah no these aren't in any particular order um but i'll start with Kubrick since uh, he you know he already has uh, a fair representation on the list um but arguably one of my favorite movies by him did not make the list dr strangelove or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb yes that is the full title that is the full um, title.
1: That almost I, made my
0: list. It's like between this and The Shining, of which is my favorite Kubrick movie. Uh, I love how much of a sense of humor this movie has, and the political satire still fucking relevant. Mm. Um, it, it's just a, it's a crazy. It's crazy how timeless this movie is when it should feel very dated, right? Um, and it's subversive uh, but, as fuck. Yeah. Like uh, you, if I didn't know better, you could convince me it came out in the eighties. Like it's
1: sure and just shot to it, look it is, older
0: or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Um. It's just incredibly a- aged well. I think um, uh, aged too well. <laughs> yeah. And again, just the 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 craft of it is is just so well done.
1: Yeah. That I mean that uh, you can always well, kind of count on with Kubrick. You know, uh, disregarding his his very first film fear and desire. But after that craft was never his problem.
0: No, no. But in this case, he also has, I think, you know, a great story, really fun characters, very memorable characters, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in, in this, you know, farcical political satire. It's, it's brilliant movie. Um, I know I'm a broken record here, uh, but I, I feel like it's gotta be on this fucking list. Uh the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like I I can't single one out. If I have to, I would say The Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. Um uh, but to me the whole trilogy is brilliant. Uh it it changed the way movies are made for the better. I still think it's possibly one of the most ambitious film projects of all time. And it it's just it's good it's it's uh, it tells an amazing story that again i think will stay relevant for many many years to come uh just the way that the story has uh you know with tolkien's writing brilliant performances brilliant set design brilliant cinematography i feel like it's easy to be snobby about this because it's fantasy but it is high fantasy at its best Uh, I will say, uh, I think Pulp Fiction deserves to be on there. Um, Again, due to just scope and influence and the way it brought, you know, the art cinema to the populist world Mm -hmm. um, in a way that I think gets understated a lot. You know, like, I would have no idea about Anything with the French New Wave. If Quentin Tarantino hadn't like blown the doors off of modern movie making, so I think that deserves to be on the list. Uh, the Wizard of Oz. It's insane to me. that The Wizard of Oz is not on this <laughs> list. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, there, there's a like good how. Idea. There's a good argument
1: for The Wizard of Oz, especially in terms of fantasy filmmaking, especially in terms of, I mean, you know, you can draw a pretty straight line from The Wizard of Oz to, uh, Star Wars and Star Wars to the everything absolute, yeah. else after it.
0: I, here's the thing.
1: H- how long has it been since you've seen The Wizard of Oz? Um,
0: it's, it's been a few years, but I've, you know, I have seen it so many times. Like, it used to be like a, a perennial for me. Yeah,
1: they used to show it on TV one literally uh, every once a year uh, around the sure, holidays. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, it, it's the Wizard of Oz. I don't need to argue why it's great, but this seems kind of show sometimes, literally, especially now that we're living in like the Blu-ray world. That movie works better in low resolution than high resolution, but. Um,
0: sure, that's fair.
1: You know this. I mean the uh, the the effects of 1939 are the effects of 1939. That's that's whatever. But it was also kind. It again, was also kind like, of a messy production. I mean, people tend to forget that. I mean, so was Jaws. But but uh, it went through I like mean, five. So was it went through Star like four Wars, or so five directors. Movies, like no, I know. But there's like three uncredited directors on the movie, and and. You know, I I don't know. I think I think it's um it's great in spite of a lot of
0: conditions around it. Sure, but I still think it's great and I I mm. still think it is the cultural relevance of it cannot be understated. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I I just to me it's insane that you could have a list of greatest movies of all time and not have it on there. Like Maybe it'd be lower down the list, but I think, come on, you've got a hundred French movies that nobody's heard of. <laughs> uh, um, and then my last one, this is this is my my odd man out that I'm still gonna swing for the fences with. Um, who framed Roger Rabbit? I think deserves to be on this list. Okay,
1: uh, of all the Zemeckis.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I think technically speaking it is an incredible wonder of a movie um the way they blend animation with live action like again we're talking influence here right the like the way we do cgi wouldn't exist if it wasn't for stuff like roger rabbit uh and specifically the way i think roger rabbit made it so accessible right um Mm -hmm but the way we blend like CGI with, with everything like incredibly influential movie. It's very funny. It's uh, because it's a sort of satire of an older style of film noir. It has this sort of timeless relevance. And I think, you know, for me, it checks a couple boxes of really good story Again, great, memorable characters, uh, incredibly influential uh, film production, and it has that sort of just timeless quality to it. I, I think uh, I think it's one that gets overlooked a lot because it's a satire, but because, just because of it is that doesn't mean it's not great. Look at Doctor Strangelove, my first pick.
1: Okay. My list includes Terrence Malick's film Days of Heaven. I wanted to put something of his on here. Um, it would be between Days of Heaven or Tree of Life, but I went with Days of Heaven. I think it, you know how like there's some movies that a director, once they've figured it out, they just kind of keep making that movie over and over again. I think for Terrence Malick, yeah. that's Days of Heaven. Um, in fact, he was so satisfied, he didn't make a movie again and from like, Mid seventies to the Thin Red Line in nineteen ninety nine, um, which is also really good, and you probably make an argument for that one as well. But I uh, I went with Days of Heaven, The Matrix. I know it's oh, fuck. it's muddied up in bad sequels and video game tie ins
0: and Nah, man, you're right. And I, I didn't even think about that one.
1: Yeah, I, I it's it's hard to think about the matrix in a, in a pure way anymore. But I think on a technical level, obviously, I mean I've I've said this on the podcast more than once. I think cinema is broken into pre-matrix and post-matrix.
0: Well, is it modern action cinema for yeah. sure. Like that's not even a hard argument to make.
1: Yeah, I mean just just the 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 way that they combine their love of Philip K. Dick, philosophy, and cyberpunk, and film noirish type tropes, and then mix that in with sort of these Star Wars reluctant hero narrative Campbellian thing, but then also you have this whole influence of anime on the editing and the pacing of, of of the action. It just, it changed everything. And I think people, I mean, I think people basically know that, but it's really difficult to see it with fresh eyes. Yeah, I mean, I, and then on top of it, you know, thematically, you have the Wachowskis creating essentially a trans narrative before the, they had even come out like decades before they'd even come out
0: well and and definitely way before it was such a part of um the popular conversation like and for sure i don't think it's a, a a stretch to say that the matrix probably had some influence in that like yeah yeah no yeah that's that's one of those ones that, as soon as you said it, I was like, "Oh fuck, yes, of course!" Like that's brilliant.
1: Uh, Pulp Fiction is also on my list. Um, I'm I was very very surprised that it wasn't. Um, I think once uh, Tarantino is no longer out there being Tarantino as loud as he is being Tarantino, um, it'll be easier for him to to be on that list. Uh, which isn't a good reason for him not to be on it. But I can only imagine a lot of these scholars and critics and people, even if they know how important the movie is, and even if they know in their gut that it should be on there, they just can't bring themselves to inflate his ego any more than it already is. But I'll, I will. Sure. I will and do, for all the reasons you said. The Film Network. There's a few films that people talk about in terms of,
0: This is. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just, there's, I, at first I thought you said that meant, like, the social network. Uh, I just wanted to be clear.
1: Well, I mean, there was probably a reason they went with that title. Because um, there are thematic through lines to both of those movies. Uh, 1976, this is the movie directed by Sidney Lumet and uh, written by Patty Chayosky. And it is maybe a little bit more kind of a screenplay movie than a director's movie. But it I think they're working together really well. A stellar mid-70s cast of the who's who of the time. Um, and there's a few movies I was going to say that people talk about when you talk about like how the media and the news create tribalism through exploitation uh, chasing leads and and creating media bubbles and all of that kind of stuff that is only expounded more since this time people always talk about network a face in the crowd and ace in the hole and all three of those could be on this list of those three I think network is the most biting and the most venomous and really sees the apocalyptic chaos, whereas the other two are very, very good, and they do that too, but they they kind of have a slightly more optimistic view of humanity ultimately, whereas Network's like, nah, we're fucked. There will be blood, I think, should be on this list. Okay. Um, of all the Paul Thomas Anderson movies, he's made a, at least four or so great films, I mean, I like a lo- a lo- almost all of his films, but I think there's you could make solid arguments for at least four. This is the one I feel is his strongest work. Um, It kind of does with what he's interested in, or it's become interested in, what Terrence Malick did with Days of Heaven. The, the difference, again, being Days of Heaven is this you know, contemplation of Americana as th- the soul and this heaven and hell analogy, whereas There Will Be Blood is more this contemplation of Americana as a bloodthirsty capitalist hellscape. Mm-hmm. Fargo should be on this list.
0: Yeah, this is on my honorable mentions for sure, but we only got five, so...
1: Yeah, you know, the way I decided to kind of go with mine, and I, you know, I c- could have easily put together 10, but is I'm at, I'm thinking of it in terms of what I would want to push into the algorithm. I'm thinking, because I just feel like the 90s in general is just very underrepresented in this list. Not because it's a decade, I, would, you know, I'm a 90s kid, whatever, but... Film-wise, some of the greatest films made came out in that decade. It was a very strong decade for movies that really shook things up and changed things. Especially looking into what's happened since then, some you know into the 2000s and the 2010s, and you could some might say see a decline. Um, but I I I wanted to kind of advocate for those movies that were at that pivotal decade. Uh, sure. But I you know I kind of. Through in a few other things in there as well. But uh, quickly, what were on your honorables?
0: Okay, honorable mentions, yeah, real quick. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, uh, Mad Max, Fury Road, Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. uh, Jaws, uh, which I didn't include just because we talked about it so goddamn much on this podcast. Sure. Uh, the Dark Knight, for similar reasons, and uh, honestly, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think uh, the animated one of the film? best animated movies okay. made in a long time and uh, set a new standard for animation.
1: My uh, uh, other contenders uh, that I didn't mention. Your Ani Minchies? Yes. Uh, Nosferatu, uh, the Murnau version. Uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, that's another good one. The Exorcist. Um, hmm. I have a bunch of horror movies on here because it's underrepresented. Dead Ringers, which the more I think about it, the more I... Just think, it's a perfect movie. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, No Country for Old Men, which was almost on there instead of There Will Be Blood, but I think I don't know. You you oh, can make a solid argument for either. I mean, some of these are they're all yeah. That
0: one uh, was also on, on one of my sort of first drafts. Uh, yeah. That and Akira also were like almost on my list.
1: Yeah, actually, Akira. That's a that's a great pick. Um,
0: yeah, it just it bums me out how much. Animation is not considered for this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested to see more. of. I mean, if you purchase the actual magazine, they have uh, all the all of the people who submitted like their individual lists. They're just kind of trickling them out right now. Uh, yeah, I have Fight Club on here. I have Silence of the Lambs on here. Um, as far as uh, non-English speaking movies that uh, are maybe a little newer. Um, the film Joint Security Area by uh, Park Chan-wook. Um, I also have Old Boy. Um,
0: that Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Uh, the White Ribbon uh, by uh, Michael Haneke. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. And mm. uh, as far as more kind of like populist stuff goes, I have Star Wars, which... I think for the last however many decades, people keep waiting for that one to creep on the list and just never does. Same with Jaws. Um, Saving Private Ryan, which is not my favorite Spielberg film, but could be argued is maybe one of his best, just especially on a technical level. Um, Alien. Terminator 2, uh, which which gun to my head, if you were to say, what is the best action film ever made? I might say Terminator 2, and The Conversation. So, that's that. We talked about a lot. Let's go ahead and start talking about the movies that have recently come out. Um, Let's talk about Bones and All, the new film by Luca Guadagnino. Do you want to describe it?
0: Uh, Coming-of-age, cannibal vampire romance road trip movie you never knew you needed. Marin is uh, a young girl. She is detached from school and friends. We don't really know why. At first, it seems like it's more of a socioeconomic thing. Uh, She wants to go to her friends for a slumber party, but her authoritarian father won't let her go out uh, at home. You know, we start to learn things are a little weird when he locks her in her bedroom. She sneaks out, she goes to this party, and while she's there, she has an incident where she chews off her friend's finger, and uh, this causes her father to leave her. Um, She just turned 18, so he can finally legally leave her on her own, uh, because... (laughs) Turns out she has had a habit of eating people um, since she was as young as three years old. Right,
1: and they've had to move multiple times.
0: Yeah, yeah, they've sort of always been on the road and and had fake identities and, and, um, you know, just constantly uprooting and moving on to the next town. So... Uh, This causes her to want to go on this quest to find her mother, um, who she knows practically nothing about, um, to see if she can get some answers about uh, whatever it is this impulse is inside of her that causes her to constantly need to eat people. As she's on the road, she encounters, she starts to encounter others of her kind Most notably, Sully, played by Mark Rylands, uh, is this sort of older uh, cannibal who starts to teach her a little bit more about maybe what's going on with her and how to survive um, with this compulsion. Uh, She gets weird vibes from him and moves on uh, where she eventually meets uh, Timothy Chalamet. Who is, you know, a young, cool guy who is also a cannibal. Um, he's young and and uh, independent and into music and uh, seems a lot less threatening. And uh, he, you know, they decide to to go on the road together to eventually see his niece and then further. Continuing her quest to meet her birth mother, Uh, you know they uh, eventually a romance blooms, and so now they have to navigate this sort of romantic relationship within the world of fucking road tripping cannibals. This is also a period
1: movie, I think. uh, Yeah, this is worth noting. The eighties. It's like, yeah, I I want to say. Early right, '80s, maybe like '83, '84 or so. Yeah. So there's no cell phones. There's no easy way to track people when they're traveling yeah, around. Like, they have to use
0: uh, maps and. Um yeah, I will. I will say it is funny that um uh a lot of times if it's a movie that I don't you know I don't really know a lot about or I'm not super invested in seeing um or maybe I don't really know the trailers like you know a lot of times. Um, my wife, Ashley, she doesn't come with me. Uh, in this case, she just happened to be bored, have nothing else to do. So she's like, sure, I'll go see this movie. Uh, and she came out of it pretty mad at you, Cassidy. Okay. (laughs) Well,
1: I came out pretty happy with me. I, uh, I really like this movie. I think it's very strong. It's not exactly, I don't, I mean, I saw some trailers for it. I knew roughly what it was about. Um, I was mostly going on the strength of having seen and liked a couple of the director's films and the cast. And, you know, I, I kind of went in thinking it was going to be something a little bit like Julia de movie Raw, which came out, I don't know, a handful of years ago, five or so years ago, uh, the French film. Uh, she also did Titane. Was her follow up to Raw, but it was another like coming of age cannibal deal. So I guess yeah, is
0: that going to be a fucking trend? Like, what is going on right? I now? guess
1: I guess it's a, a new, maybe not, maybe not so new genre. Um, well,
0: what what I think is interesting about this movie, uh, mm. uh, and I haven't seen Raw, but what I think is interesting about this movie is um, they sort of treat the cannibalism like vampirism, like they're they're this other sort of being, right? Like, right. they can smell each other. They, 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 you know, there's just sort of this heightened sense. Like, they can smell when people are about to die. Um, there's some very subtle sort of supernatural element to it, almost. But, it, you know, and, and like a lot of good vampire movies, uh, the vampirism, or in this case, the cannibalism, is oftentimes you know, sort of a metaphor for addiction uh, or, you know, uh, uncontrollable compulsions.
1: Sure. Absolutely. That is a read. And, and then one of the things I was going to ask you is, I remember when 28 Days Later came out back mm. in 2001 or two or whenever that came out, there was a lot of to-do about, well, is this a zombie film? Because technically it's a virus here they're not sure. the living dead they're infected but you know now that's i don't feel like that conversation's really happening anymore like people are just like no it's a zombie film like it's a different kind or whatever but it is mm. in in the genre um this is this to that what uh or is this to vampire genre what that was to the zombie genre. It's like, it's, it's not as, it takes the tropes and it plays Mm -hmm. with them. And certainly certain vampire films came to mind while watching this. I, I thought a little bit about near dark. It's hard not to, it's a road movie, you know, it's Uh,
0: redneck shit kickers.
1: Yeah. And, and it's kind of taking in the atmosphere in a certain kind of way, I mean, that movie is more solidly a vampire film, but this movie has some of that energy. And then, like you said, there's this kind, of, there's this kind of secret society element of it, mm-hmm. and it's not like a Illuminati. It's very really quite the opposite of that. It's, it's this almost kind of um, underbelly of of America.
0: Yeah, yeah, these these sort of outliers rejected from society because they, you know you yeah. know that if they're around people long enough they would fucking eat them.
1: Right, yeah, they can't Which really a- exist in regular society. I mean, they 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 can to an extent, but they have to sort of uh depend on each other and this kind of loosely connected network across the country of like of different travelers and and uh, vagrants and and city dwellers and you know, train hoppers and people like that. Yeah, and
0: they, and they all sort of have their own different rules that they live by and their yeah. own, like, you know, codes. And
1: their own, like, like, what that. is moral, what is immoral, what will I do, what won't I do. Um, so the it, a lot of that stuff kind of reminds me of the vampire genre, but it's, I think, if you're thinking about it in terms of more umbrella genre terms, like drama, horror. Thriller, whatever. I was actually very surprised by how incidental the cannibalism is to the story. I mean, when it goes there, it fucking goes there.
0: Yeah, I'd say it was incidental. It's got a few very disturbing yeah, scenes.
1: If the if you're squeamish to this type of stuff, um, if you, I mean, I'm not going to say, say, say like, oh, this is for
0: everybody because it certainly is not. But I, I wouldn't. If somebody called this a horror movie, I wouldn't be mad at it. It has some horrific scenes right
1: and this is based on a book and I would I would be interested to know on the page how it reads versus how it plays as a film. I'd wonder what what is tuning into because it feels like he's using the cannibalism metaphor really to tell this love story. And he's
0: well it, again it's 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 two things right It is a love story and it's an addiction story and it, you can't you kind of can't have one without the other in this case because the addiction threatens the love you know can right. the relationship survive this uh, this disease that they have yeah or, it would
1: not be hard know. to tell this exact same story or maybe not exact exact but a similar story and replace cannibalism with the heroin addiction you know or, i mean there or is fentanyl yeah sure like, um exactly I, I mean it feels like, I, I, it feels a little panic in needle park at times like the the way that the, the the couple is sort of torn apart even though they have this love for each other it's sort of built on a foundation of destruction or self destruction um so it's sort of doomed to begin with but it is in that they're trying to, there's, there's sort of this other element of it, the coming of age story of them, this sort of self-discovery thing. And, you know, I, I think it means something that this is the same director who also made call me by your name. He is a gay filmmaker who I think it can also be read as, as something like a queer subtext
0: as you know i mean the, uh there's i don't think that's that much of a stretch there's you know there there is subtext within the film of of like uh you know like the the one couple played by um uh, michael Stuhlbarg and david yeah, gordon and green yeah and david gordon green um yeah. I, like i don't even think it was implied that they were lovers like it, it just seemed to be matter of fact and you know there's there's also not to give away every part of the movie, but there's also this sort of cruising scene where they're, you know, looking for prey. Like I I don't think it's a stretch to read that as to read into that at all.
1: Um, no, I mean I think it's a stretch I, I not to.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but that's what that's what I mean. I I because I, I came out of the movie trying to think of like, you know, trying to kind of box it up, right? Where I was like, so what's th- the metaphor here are we is this a, a, this addiction is this about um childhood trauma and maybe like implying like living through childhood abuse and and coming to terms with that through uh somebody else who's been abused and trying to sort of find meaning and and redefine yourself beyond beyond that narrative of your life or is it about is this like a – kind of like a, a, a gay love story only we're uh, setting it in a world of like cannibalism, vampirism, whatever, um, which again, like that's tale as old as time. Like uh, vampire being used as a as a metaphor for queer subtext is like peanut butter and chocolate. Um yeah. yeah. I think it's all of the above, and I think it's actually, the movie rewards more the less you try and box it up. I think yeah, when I well, stepped I, I away, like, ten feet or so away from it, and I just kind of look at it holistically, and I'm like, just let the movie be what it is, instead of, is it a horror film? Is it a drama? Is it, you know, is it a thriller? Is sure. it, you know, like, the less you try and force it into genre territory, and just let it kind of be its own thing. The movie opens up and breathes and does what it is intended to do, which is, I think just move you as an audience member. And it, and it certainly did me. I think I was surprised by how, how hardcore it starts in the first third or so of the movie. And then by the end of the movie, you know, it becomes a sort of lovers on the run thing. And, By the end of this movie, it feels more like something like My Own Private Idaho or, you know, tonally, narratively not as much. But tonally, I think it's closer to something like that or even like the loneliness and the yearning of Brokeback Mountain. Also, the the Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor score – very minimal, like um, acoustic arrangements that remind me a lot of the Brokeback score. Um,
0: oh, was, did they was, score this? Yeah, oh, like, I couldn't even tell. Wow, Ugh, they're so good. Um, <laughs> they can they can do anything right now. Oh, they yeah, especially <laughs> after finding that because I do remember the score being like really good, but I I didn't. They're they're so good at blending in. Uh, if they need to,
1: yeah. Uh, which wow. you know, when they first went like with Social Network and the Fincher stuff, it was still kind of in line with that Nine Inch Nails thing. And then mm-hmm. slowly but surely, as more and more projects would come out, they've he's really stepped away from branding himself that way as a as a composer, and now he can really just do anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. That's that. That actually kind of blows me away. Uh, Okay, so uh, speaking of the ending of this movie, that is actually where I have the most problem with this movie is I feel like the rest of the movie is kind of I I agree with you. It's all these things. Right. And it's sort of moving in all of these moving in and out of sort of all of these thematic um, motifs. Uh, and and blending them together with relative ease, my problem is the ending. It, it felt forced to me. It felt very like, well, we have to have an ending, uh, and I don't know. I didn't need it. I actually think it kind of hurts the movie. Uh, I, I think a more a, a less satisfying sort of neat conclusion would have been a better ending for the story they were trying to tell which wasn't as easy to define and i i don't know and then the ending kind of was like okay i guess like like i like it was too predictable for me it was like sure i of course this had to happen this way and and i don't know it kind of bugged me
1: yeah i i I know what you're I know what you're getting at. There was a moment in the film, actually, this kind of, that where the movie could have ended in a more artful, wistful, hopeful way, and it actually felt like the ending. Like I, I was expecting credits because it felt yeah like we 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 arrived at where we were supposed to arrive with these characters, and then it goes and then does what it does. But I don't mind that ending either because if if we're going back to something like panic in needle park or or these types of narratives that are more tragic um sure that is the other way this ends
0: and and I feel that yeah, there's but, there's something but, but even that e- even the tragic ending I think could have been better uh for, for me it it just felt it kind of felt like a different movie to me. It was, to me, it was sort of like all of the subtlety was just out the window and, and it was just like,
1: it's a more conventional,
0: the the thrilling climax. And it, it bugged me, honestly, like I don't think it needed it. And I, I actually think it kind of, I'm not going to say ruined the movie, but it, it really hurt it for me.
1: Did it, did it bug you because the movie doesn't work with it, or did it bug you because it bummed you out?
0: No, it wasn't because it bummed me out. It it bugged me because it bothered me because it just felt very cliched and and
1: it kind of ends on more of a genre to... note as opposed to
0: it just to me it ended on a very predictable note. To me, it was just like a a, a very like this is how you know this is. And maybe... I didn't know it was based on a book, so maybe this is more of a book problem. Uh, or, or, you know, overall, like, story problem. Um, but it, it just felt very, like... It just felt too wrapped up in a movie that was not about wrapping things up. It just felt too... It just sort of trite to me. It, it, like, like, you know... Okay, we're getting into a little bit of spoiler territory here, but the, like... Of course, it tied into that, you know, the the title of the movie, and it just felt like really it just kind of felt cheesy to me.
1: I I mean, I I, I didn't I have a I problem was with
0: fully it expecting a tragic ending, and I think the tragedy should have come from
1: Something should else. have
0: come from the condition, not from this external villain. Which to me, again, even that. I think sold a much more interesting character out for arch villainy.
1: Yeah, that I will agree with. I don't with. know, it just I I do agree with uh, to you that it, it it does it does kind of it, it ends on a more kind of predictable genre note. Oh, uh, I, I I agree with you on that. I I feel ultimately that's not a problem for the movie. Um I still it worked for me regardless, but I but there's that other ending, where I would have been just as happy,
0: if not happier. I, I would have been much more happy. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It 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 comes close to tanking the whole movie for me, to be honest. Like it really bothered me. But uh, but yeah, I I just felt like it was the sort of least creative way to wrap things up.
1: I was really kind of along for the ride because everything is unconventional. So basically at any point, anything could happen because we're dealing in a world of wild craziness. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and I appreciated that about it. Like I, I think that's what bothered me about the ending was it just felt so typical and the rest of the movie does not. Like I kind, you know, I kind of didn't know what to do with everything else.
1: I do want to shout out the cast. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I think the Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet are great as the romantic leads of the film, and the whole mm-hmm. thing uh, lives and dies on their on their chemistry, which works. Um, yeah. Mark Rylance and both Mark Rylance and Michael Stuhlbarg
0: are creepy deepy. I, I think, I, I think creepy, but in a, in a, in a, is it just me kind of way? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, and that's, what's so good about it. both of their performances is like the threat is there, but the possibility that the threat is just in your head is, 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 I think so much more interesting,
1: right? The 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 choices they make as actors, as well as the the general tone and direction of the film, of this kind of underlying tension that is baked in, Um yeah. the, where you never quite feel safe, which is yeah. why I'd argue the ending works. Uh, David Gordon Green, I mean, uh, hi, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Playing this like shit kicker cop. Um I mean he's, he's <laughs> only in the movie for like uh what twelve minutes or less and doesn't barely have a line, but he does a lot with his presence in the film.
0: Well, and that that scene is, is such a uh mini movie within the, the larger movie, right? Yeah. Like that little campfire so scene.
1: Yeah, it's just yeah. that's I mean that's the movie. That's the centerpiece.
0: Um, Exa- yeah, exactly.
1: Chloe 70 shows up for a little while, being very Chloe 70, but I would expect no less.
0: Yeah, when they, yeah, I was like, oh, of course.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she was bound to be conjured by this movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: Jessica Harper, uh, which I would imagine probably goes back to there's There has to be a Suspiria connection here, because Gua- uh, Guadagnino did the remake. And you know she was the original.
0: Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, lead from Suspiria, but she yeah, that, yeah,
1: has a really oh, fun I mean, all cameo the in here. Yeah, there's a are, great sure. lived in realness to everything, which I think the story only works as well as it does because he sets a time and a place and a mood and a and a feel and you know the way we he differentiates state from state, county from county. Um, and it's split up kind of like chapters in the book. It all it works cinematically, and and one of the things I like the most about Guadagnino is he really is able to create a a five senses palette with his with his movies. You can smell, taste, and you know see and hear and feel them.
0: Um, I don't know if you want to taste this movie.
1: Well, there' one scene in particular. I thought there was a detail that was, uh, yeah, <laughs> with yeah. The, I with, know what
0: you're talking about
1: with the flies. Yeah. Um. That was that was a touch. Um. So yeah, this is uh this is one of my favorite movies of the year. I and I came away from it kind of shook, but you know, having a couple days to to sit on it. Um, and sort of marinate, um, I've come to appreciate it a lot more, and I expect to get more out of it in repeat viewings.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I will say this is, I think, a challenging movie. Um, uh, I think everything you're saying is, is definitely there. I... I also, yeah, my immediate reaction was just sort of like a what-the-fuck-did-I-just-watch kind of thing. Um, I, I I, would have liked it a lot more had that fucking ending just not been there. Like, it really bothers me. Um, but as it is, I still appreciate a lot about the movie. And I do think, um, up until that point, it is a really interesting... And like you, you can't take your eyes off the screen, which I was not expecting.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you just time kind of just flies by with the movie. Like you're, it's it's not a vastly paced movie, but you you feel like you're just in the you're along for this ride with this couple. You feel like you're going from county to county with them, and. Yeah. And the the recreation of it, I I never think about, you know, what is a set or what isn't a set, or or did they really film this here, or, or any of those kind of things. Like I'm I'm just in it, and yeah, yeah, that's what that's what works for me um on here, as well as just a handful of brilliant performances, and um I give this an A, I don't I don't know where you are on it.
0: Oh, uh, the rare Cassidy A. Yeah, this is uh,
1: uh, when uh, what's what's his name from the British Bake Off something Hollywood when he gives uh, the handshake Paul Hollywood yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? It, going with the Great British Bake Off analogy, I think um, the flavors were great, uh, but it, it, the the bake was just maybe a little too long, uh, and so it got a little little burnt around the edges for me uh this is a weird one to rate because i think i think it is so solid up until that point um much like near dark i'm gonna give it a b plus to punish it for a terrible ending um but i think i could be convinced of an a
1: okay so you're like rocking back and forth on that on that edge okay Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to argue against.
0: um, I mean, it is, especially when the rest of the movie is so thought out. Okay, let's
1: go and uh, discuss Ishtar. So we watched Ishtar off Tubi. Uh, This was originally released in 1987. It stars Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman. It is uh, written and directed by Elaine May, who I believe is a, also the writer of uh, Tootsie and Primary Colors and other kind of like prestige comedies.
0: Yes, it is uh, of of the comedic duo Nichols and May. <clears throat> yes.
1: And famously, this was a box office flop. It was... I actually looked at the numbers here on IMDb earlier... Uh the budget was fifty five million dollars now this is nineteen eighty seven dollars so that's that would be something closer to like at least eighty million now, if not more. The opening weekend was four million. The worldwide grosses was fourteen million three hundred and seventy five
0: thousand one hundred and eighty one
1: dollars that's rough, yeah. The movie was a long time mocked afterward as being like uh, turkey um, that didn't work. It was like this in Heaven's Gate was like the ones that people always kind of went to until like Showgirls came out and people started using that as the example. Um, but I, I thought it'd be interesting to look at in context of being, you know, this far away from it and looking at it with fresh eyes away from the hype or the controversy or whatever. Does it age worse or better than maybe when it came out? Especially when there's no stakes in reviewing it. The story, two down-on-their-luck lounge singers meet each other in New York City. They are trying to uh, come up with an act together, uh, some original music that they could play in front of people. Um, Neither of them seem very successful individually. And somehow become even less successful together. And they hook up with a booking agent who tells them there's money to be made if they uh, do their act in Morocco, in war-torn Morocco, in the throes of dictatorship and a possible communist coup. That's happening through the aid of the American CIA as uh, led by Charles Grodin's Jim Harrison character. And when they land and kind of fumble their way through these international politics, uh, Charles Grodin uh, begins to give one of them information and money to tattle on the other while the other one is seeing a local leftist uh, rebel group leader and is the sort of tug of war of these two morons who have no no business being involved in something as complicated as they're involved in, is essentially what we have here. Actually, a lot of this is basically, feels to me, like dumb and dumber of the 80s, but a little less committed to the bit
0: yeah so this movie's from a comedic standpoint um i think it's it it plays things a little too close to the Mm chest um like i think uh there's some solid bits right like there's some Mm -hmm. funny stuff in here like Uh, Some of the stuff with the blind camels funny. I think there's a particularly funny scene where they're in this like marketplace and they're being like tailed by the CIA and like three different uh, uh, like independent armies that are all tracking them, but they all recognize each other and they're all just like trying to hide from these two morons. Like that was a pretty fun bit. Yeah, some Um, classic
1: farce stuff of revolving door style humor.
0: And the formula is good of like, oh, well, one of them is getting intel from the CIA, and the other one is getting intel from this sort of like
1: fringe, revolutionary, uh, uh
0: yeah, uh, group, military group. Like, it, it, I can see how this movie makes sense on paper. Yes, but everything just sort of feels underwhelming, and mm-hmm. I, I think like. There's a few problems here, right? One of the biggest ones is, I think they spend a lot of time with them as these singer-songwriters that are terrible, and I get that they're terrible, and they spend a lot of time showing us that they're terrible. And, like, the first... You know, I can only listen to them singing out of tune and out of key with no rhythm, like so long before it just gets grating as fuck yeah and I, I and i liked the whole sort of backstory with them i liked like that was some of my favorite stuff character wise um you know and and uh warren beatty is this sort of simple optimist and dustin hoffman is this sort of moody um you know at the time they would call it a manic depressive Again, that formula works uh, and for the most part, but they don't have like Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty don't have like a lot of chemistry together Mm -hmm. and uh, it it, it just sort of feels like they had this fairly funny script that they, instead of, you know, getting comedians, they got sort of like two of the hottest Hollywood items at the time. And I just I don't know that they had the comedic chemistry to pull off some of these jokes, and you know, like the best part of the movie is is uh, Charles Charles Grodin, uh, uh, Charles G- Grodin. yeah. Um, Who he, as soon as he yeah.
1: enters the film, that's when I knew what movie I was watching.
0: Yeah, and well, that's the thing. It's sort of two different movies, right? Like the whole intro backstory is almost a half hour it's almost a third of the movie before we even get to ishtar and yeah and then all of these sort of farcical elements come in but it's sort of a little late in the game and just comedically speaking charles grodin is running laps around them like his deliveries are so subtle but cutting and and you you know exactly he has to, to play this like CIA operative who's all doing doublespeak, and so you have to know what he's really saying, but at the same time he's got to be convincing the you know Justin Hoffman of these other things, and it's 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 great, but you know yeah. it is a third of the way through the movie before he gets there, and and then the I, I don't then know,
1: they're I just think, wandering the desert for what feels like forty
0: minutes of the movie, yeah with this all of these like contrived sort of plot elements that aren't that funny and don't really have any payoff. So it, I get why this movie is a dud.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think on the page is the keyword. This is a writer's movie. Yeah. And I can see how when they were writing in, they were coming up with bits and they thought of these characters and it, you know, cause there is sort of a, st- Deeper political satire here, too, dealing with – this is like shortly after Iran-Contra. So mm-hmm. that is in the milieu of of uh, what's going on and the idea of like CIA meddling in third world countries to, to uh, ob- obtain for uh, different political goals of, uh, you know, propping up dictators and all of that stuff. Um, and Gad- Gaddafi is, uh, mentioned in this and that was somebody that was used and then became a problem later in the 2000s. Um, so the, there's all of that stuff, which is like very elevated humor and, and very topical. And then there's all of this like kind of goofy revolving door stuff and like nightclub acts and, you know, all these like references to like, uh, well, but, an but, older style uh, comedy, which is fine, and 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 I think, well, and, I, I and, mean, I think you're basically so laid out what the what I think one of the main issues is. Yes, it, the pacing is off. I'll give you that. Um, I I th- mm. I just kept thinking. How much better the movie would be? Because once I realized, I was like, "Oh, okay, this is Dumb and Dumber." Okay, that's what I'm watching yeah. here. It's like it's it's on a larger scale and it's maybe saying a little bit more. But that's what the bones of this is, or would become, rather. Sure. And I was like, "How much better would this movie be if instead of Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty, it was uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short?"
0: I mean that that movie exists it's The Three Amigos and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like exactly. that's what I mean like there's also there's that's what I was trying to get at is there's plenty of movies like that that are better there's um uh Spies Like Us with Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. Like it feels like Chevy Chase was supposed to be Dustin Hoffman's part and someone like Dan Aykroyd was supposed to be Warren Beatty's part but instead of getting comedians they you know which also, you know, Chevy Chase probably was – he was one of the sort of rare comedian leading men. So it is sort of surprising he wasn't in this.
1: Well, he um, probably was just busy or, uh, as well as anybody else. But, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman as actors. They're capable no, they're fine actors. of delivering this material the way it's supposed to be delivered. There's also a direction problem from yeah. Elaine May, who's mostly known for being behind the camera.
0: Well, I mean, um, I I think it's worth noting she was, you know, part of one of the most influential comedy duos of, like, the last hundred years. Like, Nichols and May was hugely influential. Sure, um, yeah. You know, everybody from uh, uh, Second City and SNL and, you know, they were who influenced those guys. So, like. Right, right it is a little surprising to me just how sort of flat a lot of the stuff a lot of the jokes feel
1: right I feel like she undersells a lot a lot of the premises and I and I think that if she'd allowed for certain things especially those two to to play it a little broader I mean they don't have to be, Rip Taylor loud. They
0: don't have to be Jim Carrey and Jeff yeah. Daniels, but it, it, it doesn't have to be like to know. absurd loud,
1: but but I think, yeah, just let them lean in a little bit more
0: on Spend a little less time with ha ha they're so bad at music and a little more time with the, uh, oh he's an idiot and he's a manic depressive, like, yeah. You
1: know? Yeah, and, and I I loved a lot of the bits here like, especially the stuff with Charles Grodin where he's um, everything he gives to dustin hoffman's character it turns out later it was a uh, was a bug and he just keeps <laughs> falling yeah. for it over and yeah. over again and, and you know he's doing a very dry performance i mean he's not playing it he's not playing it like like a you know a big goofy performance but you can only have so many of that kind of comedic performance in a movie
0: oh for sure and, and- I mean, he just he knows exactly what the character needs. He, he, needs right. he, he was playing like he's supposed to be this voice of reason, you know, or, or straight man would have been the term they used at the time. But that part can be just as funny as the goofballs. And right. I think Charles Grodin is possibly one of the best people to ever play that type of character.
1: Sure. Yeah, and and, and he's—I mean—and the character's also sort of amoral and and duplicitous as well. So, but but is yeah. totally um, nonchalant about it. That's why it's funny—is that he's doing these ho- horrible things, and it, he's acting like he's making copies at Kinkos. Yeah, uh, there's a little bit of like Doctor Strange love-ish stuff in here. Um, It never sure. elevates to that level. It wants to sometimes. And, you know, there is a, a 1950s musical comedy thing kind of going on in here as well. But it doesn't lean into that enough. It just doesn't – whatever it does, it doesn't do enough. Everything – it just kind of sits there. And yeah, I just, was it, vaguely amused by most of it. I would not call this – one of the worst films ever made. I've seen plenty that are worse, but it—it's just you know. And if it wasn't for the fact that it was hugely expensive and and uh, made no money, despite the fact that it has the pedigree that it has, um, then I'm sure nobody would have cared. But
0: yeah, exactly. Like I—I I think it just would have came and um, went, and
1: people have been like, "Eh,
0: it was a movie." Exactly. I think maybe. Um I, I think it's fine it's a it's a mediocre 80s comedy but you know I can we literally rattled off a list of like five movies that do this better right. um you know so I would say unless you're curious about it there's not much reason to visit this
1: no I would agree you know especially i I don't know who's still traumatized by having seen this in the theater or whatever, like, who you'd run into would be like, ah, Ishtar, or, like, it still use Ishtar as the punchline of their joke. I feel like we're pretty well past that now, especially as, you know, we've had our showgirls and we've had our Batman and Robins and we've had our whatevers. Yeah, there have been
0: much bigger disasters, for sure.
1: Yeah, and although I might say... Both showgirls and Batman and Robin have more entertainment value
0: maybe um yeah they, they, well they cross the line into so bad it's good and I this doesn't, doesn't ever do that I know because it's not so bad doesn't.
1: enough which is a, which is actually a complaint I had there's like if there's any you know if the, you want to write a paper on it or something it's like these characters are kind of living the existence of the movie it's like their songs yeah. are bad but they're like they're almost like too good to like be comedically bad. Yes.
0: Yeah. I was. So, I like- so instead,
1: they're just kind of like, like if I if I went to a piano bar and a couple of guys were caterwauling these whatever songs, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It wouldn't like be the story I'd have to tell for the rest of my life like no, the way that this movie you like the portrays open it like
0: night that i went to where some lady was reading her like journal of uh fan fiction erotica that i wish i had a transcript of because it was literally one of the funniest things i've ever heard <laughs> like that's how bad it should be if yeah. they're that bad but instead they're just kind of like it's more. It's it's maybe not that in that like bad the, musicians.
1: Maybe in the social media days, our threshold for cringe is just a lot higher now.
0: But well, that's the thing. I don't. I don't think the. To me, the joke isn't they're such bad musicians, even though they are. The joke is that they're all in on being musicians. Yeah. Even though they're clearly not meant to be. Yeah. That's, not that's good a enough. that's a subtle difference, but. It makes a big difference in a in when you're watching a movie.
1: Right. And metatextually, this movie is all in on these premises, even though none of them really work together to accomplish yeah. anything of value.
0: I did think it was interesting. I, I was thinking like when they were uh, you know, moping about being not that great at things, I was like, that's just kind of this movie. <laughs> like, yeah. It it's so unaware of of that it's doing what I don't know it was that was kind of interesting but and how that. could you be really I mean you're in the middle of the you're in
1: the Middle East somewhere you're dealing oh, with absolutely. costumes and crane shots and um you know uh, animal handlers and you know people who are speaking in other languages you probably ha- half the crew needs. Well, from Some an actor's
0: perspective, you like you have no idea how a movie's going. I don't think happen. anybody They're in gonna... the movie knew what movie they were making. No. And and I also think, you know, I, I don't think it's completely fair to attribute all of its problems to the director no. because for all we know, you know, there were producers involved that were like, Well, this has to be more relatable or, or you know what I mean? Like yeah. who knows how many pins were involved with cutting down comedy elements or or whatever. Or and who knows how many actorly choices were like, well, what if I play this differently and it's like, oh, okay, well, I have to agree with you cuz you're Dustin Hoffman. Like,
1: yeah, there's 100, who knows 110 the things. Yeah. That that could And the fact that it that it even holds together narratively is you know, an accomplishment in and of itself. And like it's 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 not that bad. It's just not that good. It, it just, yeah. it's, it's just, it's is like a very nondescript C minus kind of movie.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, that just, you know, the industry paid a lot of money for and did not see a lot of return. Yep. And that happens all the time. So, what do you have for the next uh, streaming homework we do?
0: Uh, for the next streaming homework, I want us to continue trying to catch up on movies that we've missed. Uh, through 2020, and we have talked a lot about Crimes of the Future and David Cronenberg this year um, without having actually seen Crimes of the Future, uh, which is currently available on Hulu. So that is our next streaming homework. Yeah, we're going
1: to catch up with that um, and uh, cross that one off my uh, still need to see list. And... If anybody has anything to say about any of the movies we talked about in this episode or previous, what five films would you put on BFI's Sight & Sound 100? Um, what films would you argue for? You can contact us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at uh, mcguffinpod.com. You can leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review on whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us. Uh, it would be great if it was Spotify or iTunes, um, but also on Google Podcasts or Stitcher Radio, Pocket Good Pods, whatever you use to listen to us. Uh, help us move up in that algorithm. Be sure to read the other articles and reviews by the rest of the MacGuffin staff can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at VC Cassidy. I made a, what was that app called? I made a hive, but, uh, it shit the bed apparently. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I could never get the app to work. Like I, I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't ever upload photos or anything. Yeah.
1: Almost immediately after everyone started transitioning over there, and it seemed like it was kind of like kind of happening.
0: I think they did probably didn't have the infrastructure to support the influx. Of, yeah, of it, it was
1: it was like a two person operation. Then that, that was immediately yeah. flooded in, and, and it, there was some sort of compromise, data compromise. So they had to shut the whole thing down for like a week, and then ever since it's been back up, I haven't seen any new updates on it. So I don't think Hive's going to be the new hotness. Sorry, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still playing the fiddle as the Titanic sinks on Twitter. So if anyone wants to, uh, catch up with me there, I'm still there.
0: Yeah. What about you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram still at Keith Foster kid. Also, uh, you can follow, uh, improv versus standup, which is the improv show I do, um, Uh, If you're ever in San Diego, we do shows every Saturday night at Mockingbird Improv. Um, I'm not always on the cast, but there is always a, a show every Saturday. So come check it out. All right. And that is the episode. I dried off with you afterwards. I've never done that before. It means something. Bye.